This morning's reading is from A Course in Miracles from the text, page 315. There is no conflict in the choice between truth and illusion. Seen in these terms, no one would hesitate. But conflict enters the instant the choice seems to be one between illusions. But this choice does not matter. Where one choice is as dangerous as the other, the decision must be one of despair. Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all of the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. It is not necessary to seek for what is true, but it is necessary to seek for what is false. Every illusion is one of fear, whatever form it takes, and the attempt to escape from one illusion into another must fail. If you seek love outside yourself, you can be certain that you perceive hatred within and are afraid of it. Yet peace will never come from the illusion of love, but only from its reality. Recognize this, for it is true, and truth must be recognized if it is to be distinguished from illusion. If you could go through a single day perfectly, then you would be there. And this long dream of disaster would be over for you. Just one day perfectly. Just one day in total gentleness, responding to everyone and everything in love. Your mind at peace, your body at rest. If you could do that for just one day, then you would have arrived. You would be enlightened. You'd be ascended. You would be in heaven. You would be whatever your term is. There would be no more work, no more tears, no more loneliness. You'd be one with all of your brothers and sisters. You would be in a position to help anyone at any time from that point on. And why not make this day that one perfect day? Ah, uh, but what happened this morning? <laughs> How many people here uh, How many people here could make this one perfect day? Has it started well for you? Raise your hands if you could make this one perfect day. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay, now that means the rest of you will have to come back next Sunday. <laughs> we'll give you another try. This, is, this church is only going to last two Sundays, do you see? And then, just kidding. Keep this day sacred. Keep it quiet. Keep it peaceful. One of my favorite activities is to watch John 
Gail's and my little four-year-old, and his little girlfriend who lives next door to him, uh, named Melissa. And they came over last night, and so I indulged my greatest pleasure, which is just to sit there and watch them play. And they were playing shark in the swimming pool. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way I can describe this game to you. It was, I mean, you would just, I know you had been doubled over laughing the same way I was. But they, I was sitting in this chair and there was this big couch there. And they were, they had a uh, tumbling mat behind the couch. And so they would get on the edge of the the, uh, couch and they would say that they were in the swimming pool. I was their audience, you see. And then they would start talking to me, and right in the middle of a word, they would go, whoop. I said, oh, shark. Shark got me. And then they would get up and they start talking. This went on. For, I was just doubled over laughing. How many people here saw the movie uh, Jaws? All right. Now, we wouldn't do that again, would we? We've learned our lesson, haven't we? Remember, they're coming out with Psycho 2. Don't go see it. (laughs) But I was, suddenly, I had never seen this before. Children do parodies on adults. You remember that terrible scene in Jaws where uh, the poor young woman is pulled under the water, you know, and this was a parody on it. Whoops. <laughs> Sorry. See, children understand the silliness of it. This is why it's all right for little kids to point their fingers and go bang, bang, and so forth. They understand fall dead. They do it so dramatically and well. Oh, if we could die that well. And they were totally in the present. That's how to have one perfect day. One day at peace. There was nothing on their minds except interrupting the middle of the word with whoops and the shark. And they played that for, I guess, at least 15 minutes. And it never grew old because (laughs) they just thought this was the funniest thing in the world, that we would be afraid of this kind of thing, you know. Now, I don't know what they were thinking, but that's the way it seemed to me. To make the day perfect and good, it's necessary to seal it against the past, to shut it tightly against the future. So you don't want to do what, see, I can, now Gail's back there, she can't, she doesn't have a mic, you see. I can now talk about Gail. What you want to do is not do what Gail did. <laughs> now, we were at El Gancho. We'd had our morning swim. Um, she, she got finished before I did. I don't know what that has to do with vanity and so forth, but nevertheless, she was through where I was, and she was sitting out there in the lobby, and I came out, and she was looking at something. There was sort of a half-smile on her face, and I went over, and I said, uh, well, what are you looking at? 
pictures of chocolates. <laughs> I kid you not, she was looking at pictures of chocolates. I've actually written down here some of the terms. Strawberry buttercream. I wish you could have seen it. It had a whole, whole little picture there by itself. Truffles de cacao. Oh, that was a nice one. And praline. Now, David and I are from Texas. These are pralines. These are not praline. But that's what it said. I had to pay ten times what you'd pay in Texas for a praline. And then the last one was cherry ecstasy. And it said that it was a plump red cherry enrobed in dark milk chocolate. That's actually what it said, enrobed. I guess when your teeth disenrobe it, that's when the ecstasy comes. Now, that is not being sealed against the past, you see. Gail has recently given up chocolates. <laughs> and yet, she was uh, looking at these like we might uh, dote over the uh, pictures of our grandchildren or something. <laughs> to have a perfect day, all that's necessary is to do what you are doing well. If you're driving a car, begin right on the spot, because you've remembered it, to drive it well. If you're washing dishes, as we've said before, begin washing them well. If you're brushing your teeth, begin brushing them well. If you're talking to your friend, begin being a friend well. You can feel quality enter. You can feel a certain gold sort of pour into the event just with the decision to begin doing it well because it brings your mind to the present, it opens up your heart, and you have entered. Now yourself is engaged in the activity. This is the day the Lord hath made. Rejoice and be glad in it. So says the Bible. And so say we at any moment. As we said before, if the day has not gone well, all you need to do is declare the old day over and a new day beginning. As of now, this day starts over. As of now, I will do it well. I will do it right. I will be kind. I will be gentle. I will be happy. I will continue my walk home. Because all you did during your moment of mistake was stand. Now it is sad to stand because there is no progress. But you did not retreat. You may have thought that you had retreated quite a distance. But it was an old mistake that you made. You have made it many, many times, although you may have made it in a different form. So nothing was lost except time. And there is no time. There is no time and there is no world. You have all the time in the world. 
See how that works? It's called a syllogism. <laughs> now, in order to have one perfect day, in order to do it well, no matter what time your perfect day begins, no matter if you have to start your perfect day a hundred times during a single solar day, have you noticed in A Course in Miracles that it keeps speaking about today and it tells you what is going to happen today? I remember I was so frustrated by that when I was doing the lessons because I would read this and that wouldn't happen. The thing that it had promised was going to happen didn't happen. And then I realized it only referred to a single day. Before we can see that there is only a single instant, we must, must first see that there is only a single day. Those of you in AA already know this well. That you can find your thought and your heart and your attention and all of your efforts to this single day. And then possibly you will, you will break it up, as Gail and I have begun to do, into two days. We have our long meditation toward the afternoon, and we start the day over. And then you will break it down and down until finally there's only a single instant, one eternal instant, what A Course in Miracles calls the holy instant. In order to do that, you must let the day unfold. Do not unfold it. Just let it unfold. Let it open, as we've spoken here before, like a petal. Watch each petal as it unfolds. Let each person approach you in peace. Welcome them in peace. Let each event approach you in peace. Take each thing calmly and happily and proceed in your, on your way. This is so different than the way we usually go about it. Rushing and controlling and forcing. Now children do have egos and the other day I saw John trying to force his Rice Krispies to pop snap. Snapple? No, that's not it. Snapple. No. Whatever it is. Crackle. Snap, crackle, and pop. We've got a Rice Krispies eater right there in the first pew. He's pouring milk on. They're not, they're not snapping. They're not popping. He kept pouring the milk on. I'm sure it was a, a some divine sage, some avatar that invented the phrase, easy over. Do you have your eggs easy over? No, I want them easy over, please. Have you noticed the difference in the taste of an egg that's, that's cooked too quickly? Fried too quickly? Have you noticed the taste of bacon? I know that many of you are vegetarians, but we're going to talk about this anyway. <laughs> uh, fried too quickly. And then we finish our, our breakfast and we weave in and out of traffic. 
How many times have you come across someone who has been weaving in and out of traffic and they're waiting there for you at the stoplight as you drive out? <laughs> and you look over and you smirk, you see. <laughs> to what avail was it? I was crossing the street this last week. This is a true story. I only give you the truth here. And I pushed the little button that's supposed to make the light turn. Now that's, of course, put there for purely psychological reasons. Has anybody here ever had the light turn when they push the button? But it makes you feel good. You've done something, you see. It's not just a system that you're caught up in. So I pushed the button, and there was a woman standing right beside me, and she reached over and pushed the button. She could tell I was one of these devious ministers who would not push the button all the way. Ministers, of course, only pretend to push it. And so you must follow up and push it after them. That's trying to make the day unfold. We do that in a thousand ways. Rushing, making the next event come before it can come. How soon can the next event come? Even if we thought we could force the day. Don't you see how many things there are that could not possibly be affected, no matter what you did? But we have this sense of rush and this sense of hurry. It must take place faster than it's going to take place. Why? I told you about Dr. Shaw asking the question after I told him that we had just bought this uh, microwave. I told him that, uh, he said, why did you buy a microwave? I said, well, it, it'll cook an entire meal in five minutes. Why would you want to cook a meal in five minutes? Why do we want things to happen faster than they're going to happen? This is an insanity we have not questioned. Why can't we relax into our destiny? Why can't we accept the friends that we have? Why can't we be comfortable with the body we have? Why can't we be patient and kind with each other? Why can't we see that each one is doing the best he or she can? Why don't we let each person work it out in their own time and in their own way? When we criticize another person, we're saying that they could have done it differently. Could they have done it differently, given their particular stage of growth and the particular circumstances? Did they really have a choice? Yes, they have a choice now. But did they have a choice then? Because it is then for which we are criticizing them. Now to let the day unfold, to let the world come to you, to let your friends be your friends, to take everything at ease and at rest, does not mean, of course, that we do not do the things that need to be done. So often, this particular truth 
is misinterpreted by what we call here in the dispensable church the higher ego, that part of the ego which uses truth to cause internal conflict. It uses words of truth to put your mind in a state of argument. So often, the ego will use that and will say, ah, yes, therefore you should do nothing. You should be slothful. You should just sit around. You shouldn't take care of this and that. You shouldn't pay this bill. You shouldn't make this urgent phone call. You should let such and such in your house go ahead and deteriorate because you're beyond all that. You don't care about it. All that's doing is setting us up for a failure. People who are truly on a spiritual path take care of whatever they need to take care of quickly and easily. This is the characteristic of the Gandhis, the Daghamershuls, of Jesus. They take care of things easily and quickly. There is no procrastination. There is no fight because there is no conflict. When we are at peace, there is no conflict about what to do. And so we simply do it. Whereas most of us spend most of our time worrying about what is not being done. And we pass it by. We pass by the one or two minutes we could have spent beginning to take care of whatever it is we've just passed by. And so, of course, to take it easy, to have not a care in the world, does not mean that we neglect the world and cause problems for ourselves. It doesn't mean that we neglect things and make the people around us unhappy. As long as we live in the world, we do those things which will add to our peace, which will make it easier. Why create a situation that's going to make it more difficult for us to walk home? Why create a situation that will call to our ego and activate our mind and irritate us? That's why we want a simple environment. That's why we want to eat simply and live simply. And so to have one perfect day and to confine all of your attention to this day does not mean that you do not begin a deliberate spiritual path. If you have not done this, may I suggest that this morning you decide to do that. I want to tell you about one person who began a spiritual path about a week ago. And she told me, what it is she had put in her spiritual path, the things that she had planned to do. This is not a perfect way to start it. This was her way. But let me just share this with you. A beginning. This does not exclude now. This does not exclude rest. Because it will make you happier now to know that you're on a spiritual path. To know that you've got a program. Not a perfect program. You have your program. Now, this particular person had a very difficult time waking up. 
she found that she was instantly sad as her eyes began to open. She decided not to take time worrying as she had worried so long about why she was sad. She was just sad. She accepted that. She wasn't going to keep trying to change things and change things and change things to make that sadness go away. Because there were days in which the sadness would not go away. And always there had been something to, to change and always it seemed to have an effect for a little while. And so she decided to not question that any longer. Not to try to figure it out. But to do something. One of the mistakes that's made in the what might be called spiritual movement as opposed to spiritualism but the religious movement of our time. The Western Christian movement. One of the mistakes that is frequently made is the assumption that it is easier to bypass something through mental means than it is through physical means. Now a time will come in which that will be true for you, but you must be very, very far along. I am certainly not that far along myself. It is easier to bypass something through physical means than it is through mental means at our stage of learning. Maharishi Mahish Yogi was in a group of yogis in India that had a tradition of lengthy and intense meditation. That was their particular yoga. And one day in this group, one of the yogis came and his head was completely sh sh uh, shaved, sh shorn, <coughs> shaved. And they asked him, uh, why did you shave your head? And he said, because the thought entered my mind to shave it. And it didn't go away. So I simply shaved my head, and now I don't have the thought anymore. A few days later, a thought entered the mind of Maharishi Mahishyogi. It was a question. Should I go to America? The thought did not go away. And so to make the thought go away, he went to America. And that's how Transcendental Meditation began. I think I've told you the story that Elizabeth Kubaroff told me about a, a little girl that went to Mother Teresa and asked Mother Teresa, this was a relative, as I understand it, of Elizabeth's, asked Mother Teresa, how could she become closer to God? And this girl had beautiful long girl, uh, long uh, hair as, as uh, young girls in Switzerland often do. She's very proud of it. 
Mother Teresa told her to cut her hair. She said, just cut your hair off. The little girl was not able to do, it, do that. And of course, Mother Teresa did not insist on it and did not follow up on it and did not tell the parents that she was to do this. But since she had asked, she knew this was a thought that was in her mind. It isn't that it's right or wrong to have long hair. It isn't that it's right or wrong to start a movement called Transcendental Meditation. But it is right and it is good and it is your way home to have a peaceful mind. And so, of course, you do whatever you need to do to have a peaceful mind. And if you can make your decision on the basis of that, it will not be a conflicted decision. And so this woman who began a spiritual path decided that what she would do is that as soon as her eyes began to open, she would begin saying a mantra. Now, the original purpose of the mantra, I just love that. Don't you love that? The original purpose of the mantra. Now, if you want to be an expert, you see, that's what you do. Who knows when the mantra started and what the original purpose of the mantra was? But you were going to buy that, weren't you? The original purpose of the mantra. The original purpose of uh, Homo sapiens standing on their back feet. Well, they were crawling through the grass. You said they couldn't see each other. So uh, one day you, you, you know that someone's there, but the grass is so thick and everything. You say, hello. Hello. Have a nice day. And, uh, and uh, someone said, well, why don't we, uh, there's something familiar about this person there, you know, on the other side of the tall grass. And so one day someone suggested, why don't we stand up? Because I think you're familiar too. And you stand up. Oh, hello, Mom. I didn't know that was you. That was the original purpose. Standing on our hind feet. You see. Now, the original purpose of the mantra was to quiet the mind. That's all it does. It's, it's a perfectly good way to quiet the mind. It is the Eastern way of quieting the mind. But St. John of the Cross and many others have used that in a Christian way. And there is one particular priest in this town who teaches people the Jesus prayer. And they simply say the Jesus prayer over and over and over. It is all right for you to do that if you become very agitated to just take a phrase of truth, preferably one that, that appeals to your heart and that you know appeals to your heart, and just begin saying it over and over and over. I find that I have to, in the beginning, if I'm quite upset, say it very, very rapidly. Very rapidly to block out whatever it is in my mind that I know is total foolishness, something I've gotten caught up in and that is not worth thinking about. Nothing we think about is worth thinking about, but every, every once in a while we think that there's something worth thinking about. And then I begin slowing it down. It's as if the mantra for me, I'm not advocating this, I'm just telling you the way I do it. It's as if, first of all, I've got to get the mantra going as fast as I'm going. So often my mantra is God is peace, which once again I'm not advocating. You use your own mantra. 
God is peace, 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 I said. And then I said, God is peace, God is peace, God is peace, God is peace, do you see? And it slows my mind down. A slow mind is a healthy mind. A still mind is a holy mind. So she begins her day that way. And then she reads the lesson from A Course in Miracles. This is her particular way. It's the second thing she does. Then she drinks a glass of vegetable juice. You see the priorities there now? It's very important. First, the Course in Miracles, then the vegetable juice. Then she takes a little exercise. She either walks or, or the weather's, if the weather's bad, she stretches for 10 minutes. This is a person who has never exercised since she was uh, an adolescent, as, as I understand. So for her, 10 minutes gives her a sense of well-being. And then she made the decision to switch from Pepsi to Caffrey Cola. You understand how personal this is? I'm just showing you how personal it can be. But this is something she wrote out and she did it. And as a consequence, she began the spiritual path. Because she had been playing around with the spiritual path for years. But now she has begun the spiritual path. And in this past week, she has had moments in which she has felt the peace of God. This particular person was worried about the amount of TV that she read, uh, that she uh, watched. And so she began not trying to cut down on the amount of TV, because that is a mistake. She began logging it. She just began keeping a record of how much TV she was watching without any attempt to cut down on it, just a record. Just in keeping the record, the amount of time the TV was on instantly dropped in half. There was no force about it. Just watching something begins to solve it. She then began, began keeping a record of what she calls a happiness rating of how happy a particular program makes her. She makes no attempt to cut out that program. She just records how happy she is five minutes after the program's over. Not immediately after the program's over, but five minutes afterwards. I'm just telling her spiritual program. She was worrying about how many cigarettes she was smoking. And so she began a log of the number of cigarettes she was smoking. That's all. Just watching it. Perhaps she will begin a happiness rating on that. How much did she enjoy this particular cigarette at this time of day? Do you see what could happen? You might really enjoy the cigarette in the morning, but maybe there's one in the afternoon that you suddenly say you don't enjoy. You still do not stop smoking that cigarette if you follow this particular approach, but it will drop away of itself, perhaps. There's no force in this. She decided to make an appointment with the doctor to have a particular condition checked out. Something that she had been worrying about. Something that she thought might be going on in her body, but thought probably wasn't going on in her body, but decided to have it checked out. Just as the man shaved his head. That's why she went. Not because it was logical, 
but to put the thought to rest. How often do we go on worrying about do we have such and such a condition in our body? One simple visit to a doctor would answer the question. But we're too spiritual to do that. She decided to get a good book to read. And she tried to find a book that was more appealing to her than the magazines that she had been reading. Why would she do such a thing? Because she felt that she had a self-image problem, that she had a feeling of worthlessness to some degree. She didn't feel good about herself. And she recognized that the ego thinks that it is better to read a book than a magazine. So instead of fighting that battle, she just decided to read the book. See, she couldn't find a book that was as interesting to her to read as the magazines. And then the last thing that she decided to do in her 10-point program was to review the lesson that she had done in the morning just before she went to sleep. Now I'll tell you a little bit about my current spiritual program. I wake up at times during the night and I do not do well if I don't get a minimum amount of sleep. For me, a minimum amount of sleep is six hours. That's the current state of things. There was a time in which the minimum amount of sleep was eight hours. So that's just the way I am at the moment. Now I find that if I begin saying a mantra, that this will allow me to go to sleep more quickly than if I start thinking about things. And even if I don't go to sleep, if I say a restful mantra, it is almost as good as sleep itself. And so that's what I do during the night. This woman had no problem sleeping at night, and so it was not necessary for her to have that in her spiritual program. The first thing that Gail and I do when we wake up is we meditate. We try not to talk about anything else until we sit down and meditate. That is our priority, and by doing it as the first thing in the morning, we tell ourselves, we instruct our minds that this is the most important thing. Uh, There was a doctor who I was talking to recently And I asked him uh, what was the first thing that he did because he, he too, was on a spiritual path. He said, well, the first thing I do in the morning is I run five miles. No, no, I said, no, no, what is the very first thing? He said, the very first thing, the very first thing I do is I call the hospital. Now, can you imagine starting the day that way? Calling the hospital? I tried to think of something that would be worse than calling the hospital. And I I thought of something. It was what I used to do. I used to weigh. (laughs) Think of starting the day that way. Ah! Pound and a half. Where did you come from? Tried so hard. I had an uncle. And the way he used to start the day was he would get out of bed, he would rush into the bathroom, he would look in the mirror, 
Now that's bad enough. <laughs> you ever looked in the mirror the minute you get out of bed? You're all crumpled up like a piece of paper. You see. Now he would not only look in the mirror, but he would turn on the cold water. I watched him do this one morning. Turn on the cold water and he would splash his face with cold water. So he was not only wrinkled, he was wet. <laughs> Kale and I have found it very good to also drink uh, fresh vegetable juice drink. I'm not advocating this. I'm just telling you what my spiritual program is. In the morning we do that, and then we go exercise. I've told you about our going to El Gancho if you ever want to see a calamity in action, you can go out there and actually watch us do this. Um, and something I've been trying recently, because I've noticed that so many of the uh, very, very advanced people do this. I'm not advocating this, but it just I began to get curious about this. Why is it that people who are so advanced eat the same foods day after day after day? And so I've begun experimenting with that. That's all right to do. Your spiritual program does not have to be perfect. You will make some mistakes. You will write out a little program, and there will be some things in there that's not, that are not going to work the way you thought they would. But I've been doing that. I began with breakfast, and I began eating the same thing every morning for breakfast, something I felt very, very peaceful about. And now I've, now I've gone into lunch. I'm now eating the same thing for lunch. And I just love it. <laughs> I can see you just jumping up and down with excitement. You're going to try this right away, aren't you? All right. Let me tell you a couple of things. I have these little 30-second meditations that uh, we talked about a couple of Sundays ago. Just stopping. Practicing. Being like God. We have a closing meditation we're going to do at the end of the service today that actually came from my feeling about how much I love those little 30 second breaks. I don't time these. They're about 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, something like that. I just stop and I still my mind and I become as much like God as I can at the moment. Right there on the spot. No preparation. You don't need any preparation. You all were already made like God. Of course, no one believes that. But you don't have to prepare yourself. You don't have to make yourself holy. A spiritual program is not designed to make you holy. It's designed to jog your memory. That you have never left the state of being in which you were created. No matter how long you think you have left it, you did not manage to change yourself. And a spiritual program is simply the determination to remember that. Gail and I pause before and after each event. We call this bracketing here. So every time we turn on the car, we pause. And every time we turn off the car, we pause before going in the store, after coming out of the store, and so forth. We found this extremely helpful. This might be a burden for you. This might be too much for you to tackle. I wouldn't try it. Don't try any of these things just to burden yourself because one of the ego's favorite ploys is to load you up with spiritual junk like this 
and then you can't float. And you must float. It must be easy. This must create a song in your heart. If something on your spiritual program does not create a song, drop it. Try something else. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to have ten points. But begin one. Write it out. And begin it. There are a few other things. I'm not going to go into them right now. Because we're getting close to the end of time. And There's going to be a hymn we're going to end with. Isn't this wonderful? We're going to be able to sing hymns. Couldn't do that. The girls' club, you know, is so chaotic and everything. But this is a wonderful hymn. Um, and it's got a wonderful, wonderful line. If you will... Uh, now, now don't, don't look at this now. Remember, what you want to learn is this instant is the only time there is. And so if you look at your sheet... You see, you're automatically in the future. Bad. <laughs> now, there's a wonderful line in there. If I falter, Lord, who cares? Now, I'm, I realize I'm being a little liberal with the punctuation on that sentence. If I falter, Lord, who cares? That's what you want to add to your spiritual program. Put that as the last thing. Of course you're not going to do it perfectly. Of course you're going to forget but if I falter, Lord, who cares? So have a nice day today. Have a holy day. A kind day. A happy day. A gentle day. It is in your power to do so. It is in your power to go through this day like a gentle breeze. Remember that any time that you begin to get caught up in something. Don't spend one second wondering why you got caught up in it. Trying to make rules about not getting caught up in it. If you see something you can do, of course you do it. But you move on. You begin again. You start your day over. And if you will do that, this lifetime can be your day. This perfect day can happen this time around. It's possible. You don't need thousands more years. Make it now. Let it settle in your heart. The will of God is behind your will. That's why you can do it. It isn't up to you. You have help. You have more help than you could possibly realize. So the least bit of willingness brings all the angels of heaven around you and they hold you up and they carry you on your way. 